Welcome to this week's episode of the Inception Family Wealth Hour, available on Google, Apple, and Spotify podcast platforms. I'm your host, Chris Delaney. I'm an author, keynote speaker, family enterprise advisor, and family wealth continuity consultant. Our show features interviews with leading estate planners, lawyers, entrepreneurs, financial advisors, trust professionals, family business advisors, philanthropy advisors, insurance advisors, and many more. The big idea of Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast is to move beyond simple tactics and dig deeper into the purpose, strategy, and intent of estate planning and business succession planning. Each episode will feature an an organizing question framed as a what-if question. This week's episode features Paul Nazareth. His big question, what if I want to build philanthropy into my estate plan or business succession planning? Paul is a leader in Canada's philanthropic sector with over 20 years of experience. Now, he's the Vice President of Education and Development at the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. So let's get started on answering the question, what if I want to build philanthropy into my estate planning and business succession planning? Okay, I'd like to welcome uh, Paul Nazareth to the Inception Family Wealth Hour uh, podcast. Paul, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, we've been playing a little bit of uh, time tag, uh, and I really appreciate that you've been able to make this time for our listeners. Paul, you're the, uh, the VP of Education and Development at the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, but that's you know, really only a very small part of what you do. C- can you share what you do for CAGP, uh, how you got into this field or this space, and what is it that really ignites your passion to be so engaged? Because I, I follow you on Twitter, and honestly, Paul, I can't keep up. It, it's amazing the content that you uh, create and share. It's so powerful. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what brought you to the space and what keeps you so passionate about it. Well, you know, uh, Chris, I, it's, I'm just rounding the corner on 20 years in this work, and uh, it's taken me to some amazing places, some wonderful uh, charities, which is the base of my experience working with organizations like the University of Toronto, working with a large group of churches, uh, working with one of Canada's largest and most dynamic digital charities, Canada Helps, and working in a wealth management office, working with uh, family foundations and and donor advised funds. And all the way through, I've been a volunteer with this association, the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. And the passion all goes back to the fact that I love charity, but I don't love fundraising. I've been Hard as a child by selling chocolate almonds uh, and all of the special events and everything. And as much as I know that's part of the world of fundraising, I really feel that passion, as much as people feel it, can be a dangerous thing if not guided. And I believe in the connection between purpose and planning. And so that's what he really keeps me going. How can we advance the strategy and planning of philanthropy to do great things, but also in the world of scale to do big things? So that's really interesting because I, uh, you know, anyone who, who follows what I might post uh, on LinkedIn or, or who had the opportunity to, to, to read the book that I wrote knows that I am um, very big on uh, bringing precise purpose to planning and spending time to develop the purpose in, in the planning. Um, you, you mentioned that, that, that passion needs to be guided. Uh, how how does that play out? What do you mean by that? You know, um, the challenge is is that when it comes to 
frankly, even just the law of charity. There's, there's tax laws and there's governance laws and there's people trying to do good work. But a lot of that is all about the how, right? And not enough about the why. You know, this is a great part of your book, helping people dive deeper into their why. And there's huge power there, motivation, but also helps us to do better. You know, I was talking to a founder of a family foundation at a community foundation event. And they were saying, you know, we, we have this family foundation, but philanthropy needs to be a two-way street. And we were just giving, we were never really involved. We never felt we were in the conversation. And so that's one of the things that as much as people can, can do a lot, even on their own, without the guidance, without the planning, it won't be as effective as it could be. So when they said they were not involved, that's a really interesting comment. Um, as you reflect on that or, or, you know, just even sort of generically, what, what was it that was disconnecting them from that? Why, why weren't they involved? Because you would think that people would be. Well, I definitely dived into it in that conversation. I was quite fascinated. Frankly, again, I've met, this is a person with a family foundation who was at a community foundation event. And I said, why are you here? And they said, you know, we've got another generation of kids who are now adults, have their own businesses. We couldn't even get them involved in the foundation because we, we didn't know how to make the succession discussion of purpose happen. Uh, you know, they didn't feel the same goals and values we did and how to have those conversations, but also they needed the, the intel. They needed the knowledge base of what was important in the causes they cared about, in the specific communities they cared about. So, you know, they don't have the time to read charity T3010s and all these <laughs> reports and things, uh, and then, you know, put them through frameworks. So things like vital signs from community foundations, reports from United Ways, that's where people really need, again, they said it was a one-way street. We needed to hear back. We needed to let the discussion evolve. And we needed someone to help us with that. And I think that that is uh, part of where the conversation is evolving now is, is and, and, and that was something that I anecdotally noticed across a wide variety of different estate planning conversations, not just the philanthropic conversation, was that people are struggling a little bit with and when I see people, we're, we're, we're talking, our listeners are, for, for this podcast, are a really interesting range of, uh, of advisors and, um, and, and probably the clients of advisors. And the, the common theme it, 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 with events that uh, I've spoken at and also feedback on this podcast is that people don't really know, um, well, they don't know what they don't know, but they don't know often where to get started. They don't know you know, how to build a, uh, how to build a values-based uh, philanthropic plan or a state plan. Um, are you seeing more and more of that? People getting back to, and you said starting with why. You know, I, I, I uh, brazenly ripped that concept from Simon Sinek in my book. I, I, I don't pretend to have invented that. But I think it's really important because I think, I think that that is where you have to begin any conversation uh, with intergenerational planning. And I, I would think you would agree that philanthropy is, is um, probably the key starting point. Uh, that there, in the philanthropic conversation, that's probably a key starting point. Absolutely. And again, what, what you're doing with a lot of the advisors that you're working with is, is helping to have a better holistic planning discussion. Philanthropy on its own, finance on its own, estate planning on its own, not talking to each other, 
that's not real planning. And once they start talking to each other, the real magic happens. Because, you know, for us in philanthropy, Canada has the single most advantageous charitable tax system in the Western world. Better than the United States, better than the United Kingdom in life and in your estate. But if you don't plug into the planning, and if there's no why behind it, you'll never get all the best benefits. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that is really interesting. And, and I'm glad you put it that way, because we do have a very advantageous tax system. And, and, and really, that is, um, you know, that is, uh, I, I think, another conversation. But that is, is something that should not be forgotten, that, that uh, there's, there's little to no excuse except, you know, a, a, having other commitments that you have to live up to um, and, and that you feel you must honor first to not engage philanthropy somehow in your, uh, in your planning. So you, you, um, I mean, I, I make a point of, of uh, following uh, a lot of the postings that you do. You're, you're incredibly uh, engaged in this space. Uh, and, and a lot of it is in support of the CAGP. Um, I know a little bit about the organization, but can you tell us and, and the listeners uh, what the CAGP is? So that's the Canadian Association of Gift Planners and how they serve Canadians. Indeed. You know, uh, again, I've been a member for 20 years, uh, faculty for 10 years, and now the national vice president. And it's kept me close because it's the bridge. It's the bridge between uh, charities, advisors, and the public when it comes to strategic giving planning. And so we have three real purposes. One is to educate charities on how to talk to Canadians about the giving of assets. Again, there's a lot of charities that know how to run a special event, a gala, a run. But when someone comes to them, I sit on the board of a really uh, interesting charity in the country, and a donor who gives them a couple thousand a year has come to them and said, I want to give six figures. I want to endow it. I know the purpose I care about. Let's do it but I need to work with my advisor. We're gonna be using securities. We're gonna be pulling money from a donor advice fund. And you know, the charitable staff just go, uh, can you not just cut a check? And <laughs> you know, so we, we exist to, to educate charities on how to do that. We also exist to engage advisors in law, tax, finance, insurance, estate planning, because this is their world. To do better planning is their purview. So. To help educate them, we work with CPA, Advocates, KALU. We've even launched a new designation last year called the Master Financial Advisor in, in Philanthropy with the Knowledge Bureau. So to help advisors get more educated, and again, not just the how, but the what and the why. And then lastly, we exist to, to educate the public. And we're launching this year the biggest campaign in Canada to socially normalize the concept of leaving a bequest in your will. So, in our, you know, the last thing that we're doing is this gigantic public campaign called Willpower. And the, its purpose is to help the public understand the power in estate giving and to socially normalize the concept of leaving a gift in your will. So, you know, when people understand, you know, when advisors show people that it doesn't have to be an either or, that they can take care of their loved ones. And in Canada, you've got the ability to use your tax credits in your estate against 100% of your income tax. People feel like they won the lottery. And, and um, I don't think that that's, 
I don't think that that entire concept is entirely uh, well understood in, in either the planning community or in the, um, uh, in the, what we could say, sort of the client community. I'm really interested, you know, you said socially normalizing estate planning. That's a, a really, uh, that's a really interesting concept just in the name itself. Um, what is it, you know, I mean, the, the, I, I suppose the, the underlying presumption of that, of that uh, goal is that somehow um, planned giving or, or uh, uh, charitable giving in estate planning is somehow um, not uh, an ordinary activity or somehow uh, uh, an outlier uh, choice. Is, is that the experience you find? Or what, what is the mindset that you find uh, that you're going to have to adjust to make it uh, uh, socially normalized? So, you know, this is absolutely based on nudge theory. Uh, comes from the United Kingdom. They have a campaign 10 years old there called Remember a Charity, really in your will. And we've just finished here in Canada a groundbreaking research with Enveronics to understand Canadians making wills, putting charities in them. So we found uh, that current research that about 5% of Canadians leave a gift in their estate, in their will to a charity. And, um, and how many Canadians have wills? We hear this from STEP, estate planning councils. But, you know, at what age and stage do people have wills? And what is their awareness of being able to leave a gift to charity? And so that's what we're really going to be working on in the next 10 years, to increase the number of people who know they can do it. And a lot of Canadians know they can. And they maybe even want to, but they just don't know how. And, you know, so that's when it, the power of advisors, to show them the potential, to show them that it's not going to hurt their heirs and loved ones, and to show them they can do it, and that will become that social normalization. We gotta get people talking. You know, that's the other challenge too. We don't talk about legacy because people don't wanna talk about money. But when we talk about impact and what we as a family care about, that changes the whole game. Uh, it is really interesting that you say that because I do believe as a Canadian that, you know, we're, we are for sure, anyone who's traveled anywhere in the world knows, we are among the politest people, you know, I, I often say sorry, and, I, and I, I'm not even sure why I did it, uh, or if I did anything wrong. We are very polite, and, and I was brought up to believe that, you know, there were topics that you never raised in polite company, and, and one of them, even in, amongst your family, was money and, and, uh, and, and legacy would be included, and that was always a private conversation. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that that misses enormous opportunities to do good, um, both through strategic planning, but also by having uh, that philanthropic conversation at a time and a place where you can actually build something of value into your estate plan. You bet. You know, we did this study a few years ago with Canadians asking them if their advisor was having a philanthropic conversation with them, helping guide not just their giving every year, but their plan long-term and including it in their estate plan. And advisors said to us, absolutely, we're doing this. 91% of advisors we talked to said, we're doing this. And then we did a Canadian study across the country, every province, and they told us 13% said, okay, they're doing it. That's a pretty big gap. That is a huge gap. And how do you, uh, you know, did the research account for that gap or, or you know, have absolutely. you... Do you have a sense of what, what's causing that problem? 
The study was called The Philanthropic Conversation, and we dived deeply into the gap. We did another study after that, which we released called Doing Good for Business, where we profiled advisors who had figured out how to fill that gap to really integrate philanthropy into their business and into their planning. Because again, in 2020, it's not about feeling good. It's not about cutting a check and going to galas. It's about saying, what do you believe in? Not just alleviating poverty or alleviating suffering. How do we get to the root causes? How do we really make a difference? And that involves talking about where it lives in your financial plan, not giving cash, giving securities. You know, multiplying the effect of potential bequests by thinking about life insurance or registered products, amplifying the impact. So this is where we really needed to get deep. And now with advisors, we're doing so. We've launched this designation. We're working directly with CPA and KLU advocates with local estate planning councils to take this to the next level. Well, and it's interesting. You know, I know you're on the faculty for that uh, uh, for that group that uh, delivers that new designation for financial advisors. And I've interviewed for this podcast some people that have that designation, and they've all spoken very, as you are, very, very highly of it. I was curious. You know, so I I, I like to think of myself as an educator as well, and and this podcast in part is trying to fill gaps that I think exist in in the knowledge space. What you know, people are taking this this program, uh, and and it's a philanth- strategic philanthropic uh, planning program. Where do you think that gap came from? Uh, like, what? How do we account sort of historically for that gap? Why? Why is it that um, you know, even say from twenty years ago when you first came into this space, and and really when I did too, um, what's what was the gap between then and now that has to be bridged? Because people are taking this course because they feel that gap. They sense that, that hole in their knowledge with their clients and they want to do better. Um, what do you think it was? It's uncomfortable conversations. A lot of advice from different walks of life, tax, insurance, estate have told us, I don't know how to talk about charity. And if you want me to talk about, you know, the purpose of life, the meaning of life, that's a little bit outside what I think my purview is. And yet, when we really connected it, you know, I had an advisor call me, they just, you know, graduated from this, they're a new MFAP, and they said, you know, I'm looking at the know your client process in a whole new way. Sure, I make donations on behalf of my clients to their charity of choice. I've never asked them why it's their charity of choice. You know, so now, you know, we've got, I've got a couple advisors who told me about how they've got clients talking about their family legacy over, say, a Thanksgiving dinner. You know, in my particular family, my spouse's, one of her parents passed away of cancer. And, you know, as a family, we'd never talked about what that impact was, how people felt about that. And of course, then I discovered almost everyone has a bequest in their will to the cancer society. But how do they impact cancer in their local communities? People want to feel giving. They want to see the results. And, and that's where advisors, too, can help them go beyond just the donation. Well, and I, and I think what you're saying and what I, I hope I'm hearing and, and certainly what I am starting to see is that these conversations and, and, and broader estate planning conversations as well are going from sort of an, you mentioned a KYC form, an annual box ticking exercise to something that actually has a little bit of process and purpose to it, where you're, you, you are starting the, the uh, uh, regular conversations that you're having with your clients, not you, but, but advisors are having this with their clients. 
and they're taking them back to this statement of purpose that they may have developed or a family mission statement or something that that reflects their values in in the planning and and they keep circling back to that as being the uh you know that the the, the the guiding principles of all the future planning and and everything's measured against that and it sounds like you're starting to see that tax receipts right they, at the end of the year they said give me your tax receipts where'd you give that's not a conversation. You know, we, we had an advisor from Quebec tell us this incredible story about a client who never was really interested in, in wealth growth or, or insurance coverage, and, except when they mentioned that they really wanted to honor a parent. And they give to this charity in honor of a parent because of a connection there. And the advisor said, well, you know, with a gift of life insurance, we could multiply your giving three, four, five times. We could make a significant gift, an endowment, in the name of your parent that would have an impact forever. And all of a sudden the person got really excited. They had a more robust discussion, not just about philanthropy, but about their whole financial plan. But this was what got them excited. And once the advisor understands, you know, I mean, I'm, as you say something like that, where you want to honor a parent, um, I've been in meetings where that's that's the end of the conversation. You know, okay, well, let's do that. We'll give the money. You know, oh, would they die of cancer? Okay, we'll give it to the cancer local cancer society, and and on you go. And and um and and uh, that was the end of the conversation. And and I, you know, I'm excited just even thinking about how you're viewing this because really the next set of questions should be, well, what is it you're trying to honor? What you know, we we all honor our parents, but what was it specifically? Because those are things that you can build into an estate plan in other ways. You may be building a trust for your children and maybe it was the parents, you know, gift of humor, or gift of, of, of uh, empathy or gift of uh, uh, leadership and entrepreneurship and that we can build those things into trust planning. These are concepts that can permeate every aspect of the planning. So that conversation around, you know, the, the why on a philanthropic um uh, a philanthropic discussion should blossom into all kinds of other planning opportunities. You know, one of the interesting things is I've seen several times when we were working with family foundations, donor advised funds, they were trying to honor something. It's one of those things like, you know, you see you're climbing the ladder, but is the ladder going is up against the wrong wall? Well, just like you said, sometimes there's a deeper meaning. You know, if there's if this new world we're living in has taught us anything is that people really local matters. And sometimes people are giving to something because it's just default. Again, perfect example, a cancer society or, you know, local uh, animal organizations, et cetera. But they don't go deeper. There's 85,000 charities in this country. So, you know, there's, there's something that is niche and meaningful for everything anyone believes. And there's an incredible amount of research, Paul, that shows that, that uh, and, and I often think this is where part of the disconnect in any planning and philanthropic planning would be no different. Um, there's this assumption that when we're making these decisions, you know, the decision to give to this charity, how to structure the decision to give to this charity, how to do our estate planning, that we're behaving rationally. But you and I both know that the vast majority of decisions that we make, that we have to think about, are what you would say are irrational. They're emotional. They come from the heart. And they're not necessarily guided by uh, uh, best practices, you know, there's something else that's really motivating us. And, and it behooves every advisor, I think, to get, to get to the, to the core of that. 
Um, the typical listener of this show is, is someone in their late 40s to early 60s. They're most likely to be uh, a female, which is, I think, really an interesting demographic that we're reaching. Uh, and they're professional. And, and they're looking for answers about estate planning. And so for this week's topic, I, I wanted listeners to understand more about the types of philanthropic options they have available to achieve their planning goals. Not so much the, you know, that you've, you've mentioned uh, in passing the donation of uh, appreciated Canadian securities. That, I, I'll keep that to another show. What I would be in, uh, interested in hearing from you is some of the structural options that Canadians have. So they, they want to start building a philanthropic presence in their planning. Um, what are some of the different options that, that Canadians have and, and how are they similar and maybe who would use them? Not, we don't have to go too deep on this, but you know, there's a lot of jargon out there like donor advised funds and, and uh, uh, you know, a private foundation. And that has meaning to people that spend their days in that space, but it doesn't always have meaning to people that are uh, uh, just starting to think about that. Well, how could we uh, differentiate between those kinds of structures? You know, one of the interesting things advisors should remember is that they are the person that helps bridge the head and the heart. So, you know, the client really has to dive deep into their why, have those emotional discussions of the head. And so there are strategies uh, of the, the head and heart that meet. And so some of the products that kind of live in that world are options. You know, you talked about donor advice funds. It's, they're probably one of the fastest growing trends in North America, but the most misunderstood. You know, a lot of people don't understand what this is. And in the end, they're simply a fund within a public foundation. And there's many options of donor advised funds. They live in both community foundations and in public foundations tied to financial institutions. But they're all about flexibility. It is simply the ability to have a fund that is more flexible than a typical endowment or family foundation. Foundations What's, are what's the flexibility, Paul? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Foundations often exist to have a long-term kind of income-based kind of impact, whereas donor-advised funds very often are used to move about large amounts of capital, build it over five, ten years, and then maybe give it all away as to, as a part of a couple of projects. So it's a new level of flexibility that never existed before. And. Um... When someone's working, uh, uh, you know, obviously, I think you're probably Switzerland on on these kinds of uh, these kinds of structural uh, uh, structural concepts. Um, if somebody, you know, I, I I've encountered some people who who really want uh, to integrate some sort of charitable, uh, long term charitable um, mindset into their into their family, and they want to use it in an intergenerational sense, often with the transition of a family business. Um, at a 30,000 foot level, uh, are they looking at, you know, setting up, depending on wealth levels, would they be looking at establishing a, a, a slice inside a community foundation or would a donor advised fund be best for them? Just so that our listeners can, can start thinking about maybe uh, inflection points that are occurring in their own life. Uh, how would they, you know, how would they uh, understand where they should start with some of those structures? Absolutely. And you're going, as usual, back to the right places. What do they want to do? You know, it's important to know to note that donor advised funds were born in community foundations. They came from community foundations and then evolved now into uh, public foundations managed by different private institutions. 
So, you know, it's all about what they want to do. So often families who are operating perfect example of business have a very direct giving plan. They've got a strategy they want to execute. So working with their advisor as part of the public foundation tied to the financial institution, that might be the right fit for, the, for them because the flexibility they need is in execution, not knowledge. But more and more, we have families and communities, even business owners, that want to tap into that knowledge. What does my community need? What are the things going on in my community? How do I impact hunger, social isolation, entrepreneurialism? And that's where community foundations over the past number of years, through movements like Vital Signs, which is a, a, a local report that takes everything into effect like uh, economy, uh, democratic voting, uh, civic kind of activity. So when they want that intelligence, that knowledge, they wanna be connected into the pulse that's where community foundations are out in front. So that's, you know, there's a lot of options there and people just to, often will need to follow, what do I need in terms of execution and the balance between maybe information? And, and I think, I, you know, I, without, uh, I don't want to belabor it, but, but uh, I've understood that in many cases, donor advised funds are handy if you've got a, you know, let's say you've got a time sensitive or short, short to medium term runway on a on a financial event maybe the sale of a business or something like that and you have you you sort of have this concept of philanthropic planning that you want to do but you haven't it hasn't evolved yet and uh but but there's a there's an immediate opportunity and need to use the donor advised fund to integrate into the transition of the business so the sale of the shares, get the tax benefit while you can, and then maybe evolve that later into a more fulsome plan that might involve a community foundation. Would that be a fair assessment? You know, it's the ultimate flexible vehicle out there. Yeah. Even we have people with private foundations that are using these donor advised funds as uh, tools to move short and long at the same time. Uh, to be making immediate grants or what uh, people will often call spend down funds to say, can we take 10 years to spend these funds down? You have the vehicle to do it. And then they've got the family foundation for the long view. So in a, from a planning perspective, there's a lot of reasons to go uh, and be parallel using different uh, mechanisms uh, as part of your planning discussion. What are you seeing, Paul, in terms of um, uh gaps for families where they 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 maybe looking at a private foundation or maybe looking at a a fairly uh a robust uh community foundation piece where they're going to be involved in the decision making on the giving um and they want to build something uh some some process around that is there i mean, i feel that there's a the, the information's out there, but it's connecting, like you've said, the, the, the people that want to do that with the information that's available. Are, are you seeing those, those two uh, uh, points starting to come together now? We're in a better place after a long time. The gaps were pretty big. And now, um, you know, we've got a lot more educated advisors. We've got a lot more proactive uh, community foundations. Again, you know, community foundations have never been working more with advisors directly to bring a methodology, to bring a framework to family conversations, but to be giving them more flexibility, you know, alternatives to having a private foundation that needs an AGM and directors and all of that. 
So spending more of that time having the conversations, doing the intel, look, getting your hands dirty. We, yeah. People want to get out there. They want to volunteer. They want to understand what's going on. So we're seeing advisors and foundations come together in an unprecedented and exciting way to guide and support families in this evolution and journey. And, and I would imagine that the, the program that you're teaching in and overall education is starting to identify that that, that really is the, uh, uh, that really is the, the gap right there for, for, for clients and for, for our listeners is that the help is there. Um, they, they just have to reach out to advisors that uh, are curious or willing to do this or have demonstrated that they've, through having taken this kind of program that you, you teach in, for example, where they're, where they're uh, uh, doing the philanthropic training, um, to, to look for those kinds of advisors who've made that kind of a commitment uh, to, the, to their own uh, learning. You've mentioned a private foundation a couple times. How would that differ for, for those that are listening that maybe are thinking, oh, how's that different from a community foundation? Is that right for me? What would be the, you know, what would be some of the considerations to, to go down the path of a private uh, foundation versus utilizing a community foundation? Indeed. And, you know, again, full disclosure, when I was with the wealth management firm, we worked with both, uh, both private foundation uh, work and donor advice funds. There's a fit for everybody. And often private foundations tend to be when people are working with larger amounts, uh, when they're looking for more direction and control of some of the granting uh, some of the way the funds are managed. You know, we're, we're entering a new phase now of impact investing for foundations where they can get all their money working, not just giving and granting, but the capital that they have in the foundations doing different things for uh, local organizations to be doing impact investing. So private foundations at a different level of, uh, of engagement. And, and that's why you want an advisor that can tell you the difference between these things and, the, and what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's interesting, uh, our colleague, uh, mentor of mine, Malcolm Burroughs, writes for a public blog all about estates, yeah. and often talks about, you know, what are the needs of people long and short term? And one of the challenges, a lot of charitable vehicles were originally built for perpetuity. The problem with forever, as Malcolm says, is it's a hell of a long time. And, you know, that I used to work at a university where after 100 years, we have, we have bursaries that are spitting out 50 bucks. So it's really, we need flexibility in the planning. And so now we've got all these different things that can stand side by side. Large amounts of money, long-term, more flexible money, short-term. It doesn't have to be either or. Planning is where it all comes together. And you mentioned impact investing. Uh, you know, that we are going to have to have you back for another show where we talk about that. But um, when you say that, what, what, in the context of a family foundation, what, what, what do you mean by that? No, this is where community foundations are just leading the way, uh, showing the models. And it's really interesting. I've got a number of community foundations that are working almost in a service way with family foundations to teach them about impact investing, using their capital to have local impact on organizations of all sizes so that you can use your capital instead of just giving and granting alongside the giving and granting that you're doing. But uh, empower Empowering organizations to that, using that capital to empower them is, is the best charitable example of impact investing. 
And, and uh, I, I broadcast from London, Ontario. I know that our community foundation does a lot of work in that space and, and they do some very exciting things. And I, and I know the Toronto Community Foundation and Vancouver Community Foundation do that as well. I, I think this is an, an exciting space. It's also a space, the, the charitable space and philanthropic space is, is um, probably going to have a lot of, uh, you know, this, this, this pandemic has strained resources everywhere. And, and uh, I suspect that the downstream, uh, that the, the, the downstream effect of this may be, maybe immediately, but within a year is that there's going to be a lot more call on local community foundations for resources. Um, is that something you're anticipating as well? It is, and the great thing is that this is a network that has been building for this purpose. There is now over 190 community foundations across the country. They are not just urban, but suburban, and they have a powerful rural network. You know, what the pandemic has actually taught us is the power of local and the need for infrastructure locally, because that's what happened. We all got isolated at home. Well, now what is your ability locally to have impact, to respond to needs, who did the government turn to when they needed to, uh, to Im impact the social service sector? They turned to local community foundations. So that's where there's a really strong network to be able to support families, business owners, and donors. But then there's also when there's gaps to be filled, that's where the Commercial Donor Advice Fund can also do that, is, uh, is work with advisors in places where there may not be the strongest support uh, in the charitable sector. I, you know, I get to do a lot of travel, I'm the stomping Tom Connors of philanthropy. <laughs> and I get out to, to rural Canada and see what's going on with these, these foundations where there's a very, you know, the charity network is not robust in terms of the capital that's there. This is where advisors and foundations need to come together to help families in succession, business sale. Wow, you know, you look at the prairies and farm sale, families are coming in the tens of millions of dollars and need to be planned, especially if they want to have social impact. Yeah, and, and one of the issues, you know, with any family business, but also with uh, farming in particular, is that um, the liquidity is rarely there. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much for a variety of tax reasons and, and, uh, and legacy planning reasons. They're sort of historic to the space. Um, it's very capital intensive, and you don't see a lot of cash. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of holistic planning that is is going to have to be done in the um, uh, in the in the farm uh, community. Um, Paul, I deal a lot with multi generational wealth families and family business owners. And what are the, some of the non tax oriented benefits uh, that that they could anticipate from being purposeful about their philanthropic planning? Well, what was they get out of it that they might never have thought they're going to get out of it. I was, we were listening to a business owner who was speaking at the Toronto Board of Trade. We did an event with the Toronto Community Foundation. And he was talking about the, the social capital and the mental benefits of being a philanthropist. Of knowing that you know, he, was, he was solving problems, he was part of the solution, uh, having succession conversations with his children that he was never able to have. Um, and so it's, there's so many non-tax benefits. Uh, you know, one of them uh, was talking to a foundation in Western Canada, in Alberta, uh, where a family was able to have these, see their impact. A lot of it they're giving, just like you were talking about, especially in farm families, 
It was going to be state motivated. They were going to be solving tax problems. But talking to the charities today about what the impact was going to be, evolving the actual gift, even though it was going to be in the estate, gave them incredible family cohesion, mental benefits. You know, um, it's been really interesting to see, as you said, that non-tax benefit to getting your hands dirty, feeling that impact, having the conversations. It's bringing people closer as families. It's making succession planning even better. So it, it, that's the piece where there's a huge amount of that we don't talk about. It's interesting you say family cohesion. I mean, I, I have uh, long believed that uh, <clears throat> a lot of the reasons you, you alluded to this, you know, one statistic that gets bandied around a lot, and, and actually there was an Ipsos Reid poll, I think three years ago in April, 50% of adult Canadians don't have a will. And there are a variety of reasons for that. But one of the reasons I think is that they fear the, the, the estate plan that has been put in front of them. Like I don't know how many unsigned wills I've seen over the years. They fear that once they sign that, they're actually you know, putting a plastic bag over a nuclear weapon. They don't trust what, what's going on underneath because they know that there are dynamics going on. And, and so they, they are fearful of their plan actually breaking down their family's cohesion. And I, don't, I, I have only met in the last 15 years two people that I can actually recall who didn't care about that. <laughs> they, that is often a driving factor uh, in any planning is, is that they want people who are doing this, they, the last thing they actually want is for their gift planning to do any harm to the ability of their family to get together for say Thanksgiving or something like that. The biggest state planning barrier. You know, one of the things that our association has been lobbying the government for for years is a larger capital gain benefit on donations of real estate. Mm -hmm. Because we know as well that the family cottage is gonna create huge taxable bills that is gonna affect the estate. And if philanthropy could be a larger capital gain benefit, to help them in that planning element, it could also spur more conversations around this asset that is we know is going to tear families apart in the next generation. So it's a really interesting thing that that philanthropy sometimes can be that warm, almost shoehorn into a larger discussion. Succession is probably one of the biggest areas where advisors tell us, wow, we couldn't get them to talk about business succession. Now, when we talked about succession with the foundation, with their philanthropic plans, all of a sudden, we had a much warmer conversation about business succession. Well, and, and there is research that shows that uh, when you, as an advisor, for example, uh, if, you, if you're talking about money, um, it actually can make people mean. It mean in the sense that they lose a bit of their empathy, they lose a bit of their sensitivity towards the uh, unique needs of particular beneficiaries, and they begin to think very dollars and sensey about that. And I think that philanthropic conversation uh, neuters that. It takes away the money conversation, and you're talking more about values and, and, and purpose and intentionality. Um, you know, and I often will say to people that I've met over the, that I've met over the years, you've accumulated all this wealth. Why were you doing that? Like, why, why bother? Why not just spend every penny you get, keep a little for a rainy day? And, and they start to think about why they're accumulating the wealth. And it's because that rainy day is also the rainy day they think the kids might have or the grandkids might have. 
and and then you start to talk about the people in their life instead of the money in their life. And that really changes things. Paul, let's let's say we have an advisor or client listening, uh, and and we we do we have lots of them, uh, <laughs> and, and they have a desire to build out their philanthropic goals starting right now today. Where should they begin? What would be two or three first steps that you could recommend to them that they should take to be successful in that process? So, you know, for advisors, we've got a couple of great reports out there. That's why we have a foundation to do public Canadian research on uh, state planning, will making, philanthropic planning. So we've got a a couple of reports, uh, one literally called the philanthropic conversation to help guide advisors through that conversation with clients. We've got that report, Doing Good for Business, as I mentioned, to show an advisor how other people have integrated this into their business, as well as the designation, the Master Financial Advisor in Philanthropy, to help them get a bit more comfortable with the philanthropic conversation and the planning side of things. As, a, as an individual or, as a, or a family, if you want to get deeper into your own thinking around this, that's where our, they'll be seeing more from us around this willpower campaign in their local community talking about you know that values driven conversation but locally nine times out of ten your community foundation has been producing these reports called vital signs to help understand the needs in your community and stories of how people are impacting those needs it's all about age and stage and again that's what an advisor and client can do together is you know meet them where they are in terms of the impact they want to have and the planning needs they have in life as part of a financial plan and part of an estate plan as well. It's going to be a big deal, especially as we look at graduated rate estates and how that whole regime is changing things too. Um, it, it, that, that was interesting. You said age and stage. I mean, this is people, people change and, and their thoughts about the relationship with their wealth and, and the, the potentiality that exists within their wealth and the purpose of accumulating in the first place is transitional. Uh, and, and clients are not monolithic and advisors are not monolithic. Uh, they're evolving as well. And, um, I'm noticing, and you're maybe seeing this too, that the generation, uh, that are in their twenties right now, maybe twenties to thirties, they have a very strong desire to give with purpose and to be purposeful in all of their planning, whether it's philanthropic giving or not. I'm sure you're noticing that as well. Love to malign millennials about avocado toast, but millennials <laughs> who are now pushing 40 are the single largest income givers in terms of donations in the history of Canada. They're giving more at younger ages, they're getting aggressive with their giving, and it's because, just like you said, they want to make an impact. Purpose is part of everything they do, they don't want to give at the end. So, it's really interesting to see how they're building that into you know, entrepreneurs. They're building that into their business to have charitable purpose. And that's really different because, you know, back going back to where we started, this, this space, this conversation is often very private. You know, uh, people that are in their 60s and 70s grew up where, as I, as I said, in polite company, you didn't talk about your tax planning. And, and, and your children, it certainly wasn't a conversation you had with them. But what we're finding now, what you're seeing, if I'm hearing you right, is that their kids really want to have that conversation. They really do want to talk about it. And, and it's a great way to make sure that the estate plan that you're building does, you know, an enormous amount of leveraged good by levering off of effective communication 
and and purposeful planning from the outset. Is that a fair assessment? It is. So, okay, we're, we're, we are, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I know we're sort of up against a wall for you. I like to finish, you know, any, any particularly good books you would, uh, or, or web pages other, and, and when you were saying we earlier, you know, you're, you're, uh, 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 doing good for business and, and some other uh, starting the philanthropic conversation. When you were saying we, I, I assume you're meeting the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. So I'll put a link to those documents on the show notes so that listeners can go and, and advisors, I think that's aimed at, can go get that information if they want to. Um, you also referred to Nudge. That, that was a book, if I recall, I, I read that. That's Richard Thaler, I think. Uh, that's another uh, fascinating book on, on um, uh, how we make uh, our decisions. Is there anything else, you know, if someone's, someone like me, I like to sit and read about it and think about it before I do anything and it drives my wife crazy. But, uh, you know, are there any books you, for, for those that want to sit down and spend some time with the topic, is there, is there anything out there that they could, uh, could do that with? You know, we've got a really exciting book from a Canadian best-selling author on, on Canadian personal finance, uh, Lindsay Green, who has written a couple books on Canadian finance, another one on, on aging Canadians and how they think about their life. She's written one last year called The Well-Lived Life. And well it's about uh, the purpose. It's all about legacy, but it's, it, none of it is financial. It's a, it's a collection of stories of everybody from uh, Franz Kafka's legacy to, uh, you know, some really, really interesting. It's a story-driven book that anybody can access. It's great for advisors and for clients um, to take a, that, that why look. And it's an incredibly inspirational book from someone who has a history of talking about Canadian finance. Well, and having that, you know, it's, it's nice to have that. And I think that that library is starting to build so often... It was American books. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but but you know the Canadian mindset is unique. It is it is different north of the 49th. We have a different view of uh, uh, a different view of the world, um, and so I will put a I will put a link on the show notes uh, to that book uh, wherever that can be found. Um, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time today to share this this wisdom. I know that our listeners are going to benefit tremendously. And um, I hope that we'll be able to have you back on uh, uh, on another episode where we'll maybe dive a little deeper into things like impact investing and and some other uh, uh, some other uh, topics that were raised that deserve more time um, uh, in from this uh, particular interview. Well, I'm a big fan of your work, Chris, and uh, really excited to be here today. I'm grateful for the chance to share our message of CGP with uh, with your audience. Well, it's been great having you. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks to Paul Nazareth for being our special guest this week. The books and articles Paul mentioned in the show will be noted on the show notes for this week's podcast. If you have an idea for a topic or speaker for the Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast, please let us know by sending an email to ifwhpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and have a great week. We'll see you next week on the Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast.